You know, the pastor makes me look good. I told him what I was going to be speaking on this morning, so he came up with a intro on the screen. We're going to be looking at one of the greatest men that we find in the Old Testament. He's a, he's a remarkable man. And his life story actually kind of casts a shadow on us because the way that God dealt with Joseph is the way that God moves in our lives. And so we're going to see some interesting things about him as we get into our study. First, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this gathering, Father, that you are in the midst of us. You said where two or three are gathered that you would be there. And Lord, we know that you're here to minister to the needs of your people. And we're varied people, Father. We're facing trials and things that are different and unique for the individual. We just pray this morning that you will minister to us, Lord. Give us the joy of the Lord. And as we look to you this morning, we do so desiring to glorify Christ. And we ask that you speak through your word this morning. And we'll thank you in advance. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms 37:23 reads, The steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord. When he delights in his way and he busies himself with his every... That's an awesome statement because he's talking to you. <laughs> Each and every one of you this morning, he's addressing you. He is directing your footsteps. And as we look at the, the story of the life of Joseph, which begins in Genesis 37, verse 1 to Genesis 50:26, we'll see that Joseph was a, a, a person that was marked out for a special place that God had for him to serve him. As we look, look at the family of, of Jacob, which was, his name was changed to Israel. His family was a, a dysfunctional family. Did you know that? <laughs> Not only did he have several wives and sons and daughters by these wives, his sons were those that brought great reproach upon this man of God, caused him great agony and sorrow, put his life in jeopardy and danger. And then they, Joseph and his wife, or Jacob and his wife, had a son that they named Joseph. And you know the interesting thing about Joseph is that from the very beginning, he stands out separately from these other men that were living totally in the flesh. They cared nothing about anything but that which satisfied them. We know people like that, don't we? <laughs> and they're, they're not fun to be around because they don't care about your comfort, about your well-being, about the way that you feel. They are only interested in what helps them. So when Joseph was born, he stands out from among his brothers, possessing a quality of spirit that marks him quite different. He's, he's one of these born in a family where you say, Oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> there's, there's some families that are just constantly at each other's throats. And here comes this young man born into the family, and from the very beginning, I believe that Joseph 
and not Joseph, but Israel, looked at this beautiful baby and God spoke to his heart and said, this one's different. This one's different. There is no record given on us in Scripture as to when Joseph accepted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father. But we know that Jacob was faithful to tell his entire family, the stories of how God had moved in him, the experiences that he had, God's leading him through various things in his life. What about the ladder that he laid down and, and angels descended and ascended? And he saw this. And he had the promise that God had given him, that he was going to do a work in his life. He was going to fulfill the covenants that God had given to his father Abraham and Isaac. And it was going to be an everlasting covenant. And when Joseph heard these things, no doubt it stirred something in his heart and he accepted. He committed himself to this God, the God of all creation who revealed himself to Abraham, calling him out a special being from everyone else in the world, the beginning of the nation of Israel. And it's through this line that you and I this morning have this the word of God. All of the prophets, all of the great man, men, all of the things that we, we have is because God called a man out and Abraham became one that he spoke through and it went all the way down to the end of Revelation, really. This is a Jewish book, friends. There's only two books in the Bible that were not written by Jews and that's Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and then the book of Acts. So we have a great possession because of these people. Joseph believed what was told by Jacob. And maybe I'll, I'll try to call him Israel because that's the name that was given to him when he wrestled with the, the angel that night. The fact that the hand of God was upon this young man is evident and his father took notice. Joseph was 17 years old as we begin the study of his life in chapter 37 of Genesis. And let, let's drop down and, well, let's read verse 2. Joseph, 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bela and Zelpha his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report. Joseph wasn't one of these fellows that, I'm going to tell dad on you if you don't do things the way I want. Have you had kids in the family that, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to tell mama, I'm going to tell daddy. Joseph was not a tattletale, folks. Whenever he brought a report of his brothers, it was something that jeopardized the business of the entire family that needed to be corrected. And because he was a man of integrity, because he was a man that the Spirit dwelt in him, giving him, they said, the rabbi said that he was an exceptional youth with tremendous ability, well beyond his years. These are the gifts that God has given his people. We have in, in the church people that that 
they have the ability to read, to study, and to write down in, in book form so that someone like myself who could never come up with the tremendous information that we have from these men can benefit from them. They are helps. And because Joseph had all of these qualities within him, he noted something that was going to put the family business in jeopardy. And he made, an, he made note of the danger, and he reported the incident to his father. The report was not forgotten by these brothers. Let's read that. It says, now Israel, it was says when he was a boy, he was pasturing with the flock. He was a faithful youngster that desired to please his father and to take care of the business that his father assigned to him. It says, And Joseph brought a bad report of them, that is his brothers, to their father. How do you think that went over? <laughs> These boys had been used to doing everything their way. When they were out of the sight of their dad, they did things that were, weren't good. And it was, it was causing a problem. And so Joseph reported this. He wanted corrected because he loved his dad, but because he loved his brothers as well. When we overlook something that has taken place in an individual's life, something that needs to be corrected, and we do not address that situation, we're not being loving toward that person because if they continue on doing what they're doing, they are going to pay a penalty in price for it. So he told his dad, and they were very angry. It says, when he brought the bad report to their father, they made note of it. And we said that Israel had taken notice that Joseph was a special gift to the family. Because of his organizational skills, his ability in math, his ability to see a problem and correct the problem and make it better, his brothers didn't appreciate that. But his dad said, I'm going to just put Joseph in charge of all of my business. He's going to be the man that's going to be the in-between myself and the business that we have. All of the flocks, everything that was, was involved. And so he says, I'm going to mark him out as being special. And what he does, he says, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. That's always something that's bad. But you know, when you have a special person with a loving personality. It's far different than having someone with that's a snarly, you know, person that's mad and, and you almost fear them because of their capability. Joseph wasn't that way. So his dad said, I'm going to make him overseer. And what he did, he made him a robe of many colors. And this is interesting because it wasn't a patchwork of various colors sewn together. This robe was not some, you know, ugly thing that you wouldn't want to wear like a sweater you get for Christmas. 
This robe in the Hebrew means a tunic, actually. A tunic extending to the ankles and sleeves that came down to the wrists and was embroidered with a sleeves. This marked Joseph apart from his brothers as this robe was only robe was only worn by those who had no need to toil and labor with their hands. You can almost see the, the trouble coming already. Because his brothers now, they had to toil and labor with their hands. They had to shear the sheep. They had to pull them out of the mari holes that they would get stuck in. And they were probably smelly. <laughs> but these men that would be under Joseph with his beautiful robe, distinguishing him as being head in authority, they had to earn their bread by manual labor, they wore short colored garments that did not show stain nor cramp the freedom of movement. So you can see the envy already beginning to well up in the hearts of these people. This robe that Joseph wore declared him to be free from hardships, free from getting his hands dirty. He would be the one who gave the orders to his brothers who would have to do all, they would have to do all the dirty work. This robe was a status symbol which caused his brothers to hate him. I couldn't help but think of some of these real high church orders for that, the, Pastor comes in with a flowing white robe trimmed in gold. He has a staff with a cross with Jesus on it. He has a funny looking hat on. His collar's turned around dif different than everyone else's. He's distinguished from everyone else. I, hey, th this is me. I am the leader. Joseph, <laughs> Joseph didn't flaunt this in front of his brothers and say, look what I got and what you're going to have to do what I say. But Joseph, took the responsibility to bless his father and also to be of help to his brothers. But it was a status symbol. I don't know if you can find humor in this or not, but just think just a minute. These boys were coarse, hard, they were rowdy men. They were not the kind, well, when my grandson went back to Texas to take this new job, I told him, I said, son, be careful of the friends you make, you run around with when you're back there. I said, you mark out those that like to go to the nightclubs, go to the beer joints and do these various things. Don't get involved with that because these kind of people will bring you down. Keep away from it. Mark out those that do this. Joseph, every time he would appear to give instructions to his brothers, he would remind them, as they saw him coming, of their own miserable condition. He was a testimony against them. Jesus said that everyone that hateth or doeth evil hateth the light. So he, these guys, every time they saw him, they just felt that prick of conviction in their heart. And they hated him with a passion and began to grow. Now God begins to appear to Joseph in dreams. He begins to lay out before him what God had prepared for him from point A 
to the finish line. God didn't reveal to him what was going to be in between the call and the destination. Joseph was at point B, and God was showing him through these dreams what was going to take place. And Joseph, he was excited. God's going to do a work, and so he he didn't share this dream to gloat over his brothers. He didn't say, aha, look here. No, he just said, listen, man, he says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves. He's involved in this too. He's working out in the field with his brothers. They were binding sheaves, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers, you can, boys, you can just, just see the venom dripping from these words. Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And here's what it produced. They hated him even more for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And his parents were involved in this one. And he said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And it says, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And it said, The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the sayings in mind. You know why? Because he understood dreams. God had appeared to him. And, and given him a view of what God was going to do. Dreams were something he was familiar with. So he just didn't cast it off. He kept it in his mind. He kept pondering. He kept thinking about this. What does this mean? What is God going to do with this son? That's so precious to me. Then becomes a decision that's going to alter the course of Joseph, of the entire family forever. Have you ever had something happen in your life and you would think, maybe it's a car accident, and you would say to yourself, if only I had waited five minutes before I started the engine and drove off. Because that five minutes would mean all the difference in the world. You wouldn't have had the accident. And so here's the decision that his father gives to him. His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, to him, Here I am, ready to do the Father's bidding. Don't you love people with that kind of a, a servant heart? 
So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. You know, 17 years old, going out into the wilderness in those days was, wasn't just a, a fun adventure because it was dangerous. There were wild animals, and he would have to go through some toil and some pain to find his brothers. And so this man was in the field, and he said, Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Something about this needs to be noted as well, is that Joseph loved his brothers, as mean as they were. He loved his brothers, and he wanted to see going with them. This down in your thinking that every event that is taking place is orchestrated by This whole thing was orchestrated by God because God was getting ready to do a work in Joseph's life that only this kind of a situation could accomplish. And so when he came there, and remember he has that coat on, he's not going to have to be fooling with the sheep. He's not going to have to be doing the dirty work. He's going to take a report back to Jacob. But it says, they saw him from afar with that robe that he was wearing, which just, in their craw, it just constantly turned over and got more bitter and more bitter. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see the character of these these guys. They didn't care if it broke their father's heart. They didn't care if their brother was going to go through excruciating agony. They had a desire to appease their flesh, and they were going to go to the ultimate in order to do that. So they wanted to kill him. But then Reuben heard it, and he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. He said, Throw him in a pit. So here was a pit there, a deep hole that had no water in it. So here's this young man, 17 years old, and these big, burly, strong brothers grabbing him, tearing his robe off of him, casting him in the pit, and then it says they sit down to eat. And all the time Joseph was down in that pit, he was in agony of heart. It's translated different in some of the Bibles. You either have anguish or you have uh, another word, distress maybe. But the word anguish in the Hebrew means a high-pitched wail. 
like you would hear at a funeral. Joseph was crying and pleading unto them in distress and anguish of soul. But what were they doing? He could hear them talking. He could hear the utensils being passed forth as they partook of the food. And this young man was absolutely broken. He had no one to help him at this time. I want you to to know something here, and I hope I don't lose some of you on this because some people cannot grasp the moving of God in each individual life. But it's a profound truth which will... All of this transpiring and happening to Joseph was in the perfect will of God. Think about that. This was being directed under the hand of God. Some people, when a catastrophe happens in their life, the family, they get the idea, well, God has just turned his back on me. No, you're, you're, you're bringing a false accusation against God. You're making him out a liar when you say God has forsaken me. He's turned his back on me. I have no help. But God was perfecting and conditioning Joseph to be his man for the hour, the event that was a few years down the road. Let me point something else out to you. Joseph never lost faith in the God that he served through all of this experience. Now, he didn't have a full understanding of what was happening, but he never lost faith in God's call in his life. That's trusting God the way God wants us to to lean up on Him and not our own understanding. Did you know that nothing happens by accident in God's people's lives? God does not work nor major in accidents. There's no such thing, friends. God is working a work, and all He asks for you to do is to have faith and trust in Him. And I know that for this congregation, you have undergone experiences where you were just crushed almost or where you would prefer death rather than what you were going through. But you laid hold of God knowing that though you don't see the purpose, God sees the beginning from point A to the end, the destination He longs to bring you to. I can't see the time. I hope I don't wear you out. I like J.D. Farag, every week he says, you're so gracious to bear with me and give me a little more time to bring what he's doing. It says that some individual is going to wear out the saints of the Most High. Well, I don't want to <laughs> to wear out the saints of the Most High by making it uncomfortable and long for you to sit here. Nothing happens by accident. God does not work in or majors in accidents. You know, in, in verse 39 of 
our chapter here, when he was brought, he was bought by Potiphar. Remember, they pulled him out of the pit. They sold him to this caravan that was going down to Egypt. That way, they had slaves. The remnants will never see nor hear of him again. And so, when he came down to Egypt, it was no accident that Potiphar happened to just be there, and here was this young slave, a fine, good-looking young man. And he thought that this this will do well in my business. So he bought Joseph. God was orchestrating that, friends. He's the one that put everything into place so that Potiphar would choose him and would use him in his work. Uh, in 39, chapter 39... After Potiphar purchased him, notice what it says in verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. He never left him, never forsook him. And then it tells us, he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He was so successful. The funny, the Potiphar just said, you just take care of everything that I have. It's totally in your hands. This was the kind of man that Joseph was. God was using him. In Matthew Scripture tells us, even the hair of your head are numbered. If God goes this far in knowing the very number of hairs on each individual in this congregation, is he not going to not leave anything about you to chance or undone? That tells us that God has a plan and a purpose for you as an individual. He's going to do things in your life that is going to perfect you into what He wants you to be. Another scripture in John 10.3 says, The sheep hear His voice. The individual sheep of His pasture. He calls them by name and leads them out. He knows every individual in this congregation, in the congregation where John's preaching, or anyone else. He knows the name. You are special to him. You are unique. He knows your name. And he calls your name. And what does it say? He leads them out. He's leading you right now. Maybe into something that you're not going to like. But it's something that God knows that without this happening in your life, you won't be perfected into what he wants you to be. Oftentimes we begin to compare how God is blessing one person against us. And that person has everything. Everything they touch just seems to turn to gold. They have, they have a wonderful family. They have a beautiful home. Their kids are well, you know, well kept and they, they're so nice. They just so, they behave so, so nicely when they're around people. And then you look at some of the circumstances that you are going through. And you begin to have that little question mark come up in your heart. Do you remember when Jesus had been resurrected and 
he was on the beach and the men had toiled in, in catching fish. And so after he had already fixed breakfast for them and they came and he addressed Peter, he said, Lovest thou me more than these? He was talking about the fishing industry because that's what Peter had returned to. And he questioned Peter three times because Peter had denied him three times. And he questioned Peter three times. And then Jesus told Peter, That's not, I mean, that was, that was in cement, folks. It wasn't going to be broken out. It was going to, it was already cast. That was the future that Peter was going to face. And so Peter, turning this over in his mind, John walked by and he said, What about him? till I come. Watch that unto you. Follow me. We're not to gauge our success by those around us and how God is moving in the other individual life. He leads us. He deals with us, his sheep, as individuals because each one is unique. Therefore, it is according to the individual need that he works in us. You know, when Mary was given the announcement that she was going to bear the Messiah, the Son of God, she said, be it according to your will. And I think she knew what lay before her. She had a black mark against her all the days of her life because they accused Jesus of being an illegitimate son. In Isaiah 48, too, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Do you know why none of these things overcome God's people that's experiencing this? It's because he applies what is needed to make a vessel, a vessel he can use and will fit into his glory on that day he loves you and wants to perfect you passing through the love he has for you and the plan he has for you in glory the events in your life the hardship which seems unbearable God addresses that throughout Scripture, and it's interesting to me that those that God used seemingly are the ones that suffer the most. Deuteronomy 8.16 says, The wilderness march, talking about when He brought them through that wilderness, the reason that they suffered and the reason that, that they went through the experience and they had to depend upon God the opening of the Red Sea. They were against it, folks. They had the Red Sea there before them, and behind them they could see the dust of the chariots coming. And they knew they had no escape except God. So all of that experience was for a purpose. It says that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. <laughs> oh, 
if we could only believe to the point that when these things befall us, we could just lean back and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but you do. Give me the grace and the strength to be able to stand upright and to accept what you provided in this experience and you be glorified through it. First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those, now listen, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a what? Faithful creator while doing good. You don't stop doing good because of the circumstances. You're getting in trouble because of the good you're doing. Joseph never lost his integrity when he was in Egypt. In any task that was given him, he excelled because he applied himself 100% to the glory of God. Hmm. Sorry, guys. In Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, let me read some scriptures. We're going to be through here in just a minute, folks. Paul writing here, a man acquainted with some of the most dreadful hardships you would hope to encounter. He says, more than that, in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings and endurance that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, probably Dwight would understand this more than I do, but you take an old horseshoe, it's shaped, it's beat, it's pounded, it's put into the fire so that it can be shaped to what it's called for. But the, the most expensive and delicate piece of steel, they don't have them today, but they used to make watches with mainsprings in them. Do you know why that was so, so valuable and so costly? Because it had the white hot heat applied to it and it made it valuable beyond that horseshoe, that clunky old horseshoe. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me this morning. I want to include Joseph's understanding. Well, uh, let me back up and read some more scripture. Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Jesus says this, Behold, I am with you always. I've been reading a book called Ghost Soldiers, and it talks about these men that had been taken captive at the time and the camp they were in. Some of the most horrible conditions, they had dysentery, they had the, the jungle diseases that were prevalent, malaria. And these men were forced to march. Some of them, they had to be dragged because if you fell down, the Japanese at that time would kill you instantly. They'd either ban at you or they'd club you to death with their butts of their rifle or they would decapitate you with their swords. 
Even in that kind of a circumstance, God does not forsake you. He is perfecting you. He is teaching you to lean not upon your own strength and understanding, but in those trying times to cast yourself wholly upon Him. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't let the tempter, the devil, or one of his imps tell you that, see, God's forsaken you. No, God has not forsaken you. If we turn to Genesis 50.20, the Amplified Old Testament, I'll read it from that. At the end of this experience, after Joseph had been placed in great authority, all of the hardship, the endurance was behind him. He reveals his understanding. Talking with his brothers after their father had died, they were very, they were very fearful because they thought, now then that our, our dad's gone, he's going to have complete freedom to do with us as he pleases. And they knew they deserved it. <laughs> but what Joseph says, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Why do we go through experiences? I'll conclude with these three verses from Paul. But for, no, I forgot something here. I want to read. It's a poem by an unknown author. It's, it's called The Divine Weaver. Put yourself in this situation. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget that he seeth the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful as in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Romans 8, 28 to 31 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things, work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now we know that not all things are good. He's not saying that. What he's saying that these bad things will be turned to become good for you. Now the purpose is explained in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What God is doing in your life is perfecting you to fit into the body and the place that he has chosen you to fill in his glory. The final result in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. 
And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Then he says, what shall we say to these, to these things? If God be for us, who or what can be against us? And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your love to us and the leading, Father, that you are given to each one of our lives, Lord. Help us to be submissive and, Father, just to lean back and to trust you with the whole operation, the whole outflow of what you're doing. Father, bless these folks. We pray we know that there's needs represented here in every life. We just commit it to you, Father, that our purpose might be that Jesus Christ increase, that we decrease, and that he be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord bless you.